Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning and hello once again. And this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I'm very, very glad to be back on American Tennis. And we will be coming to you every Wednesday at noon on the Yellow Ball Network, and uh, gosh, now our sixth year already, and I've been off for the last month or so because of the illness in um, my family. My my uh, wife's mother was just a rough, rough time, and uh, we went through all that, and she has passed away, and if you'll just keep our family in your prayers right now, we're going through that, uh, you know, the Golly, <laughs> everybody's been through this, and uh, when you go through it, what can you say except, you know, uh, they say that God never says, oops, he doesn't make mistakes, and he knows what he wants, and he's going <laughs> He's going to be uh, the big boss always, and he's always going to have his way, but uh, what a wonderful, wonderful, godly life um, my wife's mom lived. And uh, gee was to find to see the way she handled everything in the end. I, I just it's just a testament to to having faith and into believing. And uh, you know it's <laughs> our time here is so so small. But but just to have faith and believe in God and, and to follow that it just uh, I, I don't know, folks. I don't know how you 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 could do anything else really. And it's it's um, to watch her. So we've been going through that, and uh, every day of our lives it will have an impact. But it's it it for our family right now. We're we're doing well, but thank you for your prayers. And uh, it's back to tennis, and uh, I want to get started again with the program today, American tennis. 
and I want to, um, I've had a lot of time to think and to try to plan, and I'm hoping that I, I have a couple coaches come on today to be able to talk and support some of the things I'm going to bring up. Uh, but I've got so much information to cover in just a short time to do it, so I'm going to get get on with it here this morning. And uh, I wanted to first of all say, uh, each and every one of you, if you are in tennis, either as a coach, as a parent, or as a player, you'll you'll notice all of the many many changes that are happening in the sport of tennis if you try to take on serious serious tennis if you try to become a player if you try to direct your youngsters uh, into the sport it's uh there's just a lot of things that dang it they just become complicated and they, and they shouldn't be um i think we have overcomplicated the thing and, and we've made it just so very very hard to just even be involved in the sport um, all the regulations and all of the, I, I hate to say rules and regulations, mainly it's being over-regulated right now by our our um, governing bodies and our organizations. And I don't know if that's about control or if they think that it's the best way to go or or whatever, but dang, uh, you, you do not go after creative things when you're hogtied and when you have too many rules. That's why I always say it's not about a pathway to excellence. It is about a freeway or an expressway or a highway. There are many, many ways to be good, to be great at at anything, especially in sports. And that's what makes things so, so exciting that when you see novel ideas come up and people become successful that are not really the cookie-cutter process that we seem to be using so much now. And uh, I don't want to go into why, but I think we all have a an idea why. I think that computers, I always say computers allowed Barney to run Mayberry. In other words, leaders lead and inspire, and they they get people to strike out on their own and go take the hill and to charge and go get it done. And I think managers and uh, people, especially who micromanage, they want things. I heard one thing time, managers done, uh, want things done right. They, they do things right, but leaders do right things. And I think that's where we're at. I just think that so many of our organizations have elevated number two people or number three people into positions of power, and for whatever reason, overregulation has happened. I, I think that everybody out there will agree that overregulation has happened, and it continues to happen. And the, I argue this is the um, this is America, this is the United States of America. We were not built on overregulation or being hogtied or being cookie cuttered into something. The freedom and, and the excellence has come through the innovations that we've been allowed to make in our society. That being said, I want to tell you a quick story, and I hope the parent comes on here in a little bit, but I have a good friend that came to town to play a tournament last weekend, and his youngster, who's in the 12 and unders, if you can believe that, came to play a tournament. I don't know, it's a 16 or a 24 draw, I think. So four matches, and in those four matches, he told me (laughs) he he played on clay courts, 
He played on hard courts. He played at four different sites for four different matches. And he played four different, folks, listen to this, four different formats. He, they started out the tournament. Oh, yeah, they had a little bit of sprinkle on Saturday. And then the tournament directors get all excited. And they start, oh, how can we get this done and uh, abbreviate it and get it done, I guess. And, you know, we used to get all the tournaments done back before computers. And we used to just play tennis. And tennis was two out of three sets, six game sets. And tiebreakers came in about 70, what was 1970, I guess, something like that. Six, now it's about 69, something, something like that. <clears throat> so tiebreakers came in. It was two out of three sets, tiebreaker sets. And they played two out of three sets, and you played scoring, and the deuce had scoring. But my friend said that his son – went ahead he played four different formats four different formats so i wanted uh, oh i've got think i've got him on the line here i'm going to get him here in a second hang on there coach just a second i want him to tell the whole story in the right way the bottom line is what i want to get to today folks is i've followed this as you know for seven or eight years when they started bastardizing tennis abbreviating tennis turning tennis into something that is Entertainment-driven first, as they say, education-driven second. So they turn it into something we don't even recognize, but he can tell you a whole story. But what I want to do is I really believe that we've gotten to the crux of the matter or the heart of exactly what is happening and what, why, why it has happened. So I'm going to get him on here, and I think we have Coach Weber. You're on the, you're on the line there. Coach, welcome to the program there. How are you? Good. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing good. I uh, sort of did an intro. You called in about the perfect time here, so I did an intro. I was talking about your son who played an event this last weekend, and I let in and I said uh, he played four matches. I want to get this straight. I want to get the whole thing right. Four matches at four different sites with four different formats on two different surfaces. Is that correct? Yeah, and I don't want to criticize that in the sense that, okay, you I know you, and I remember about, you know, you, you'd have probably had your team finish a match anywhere they could at any time they could in a way, I suppose. Back when you were coaching, you probably would have been one of those guys. Like I, I remember one time when I was a kid, all the parents lining up their cars and turning on the headlights so we could finish a match at night. But this isn't, this isn't like that. This is something, and it's really not particular to my son's um, experience. There literally are, as a tournament director, I run tournaments myself. As a tournament director, when I go to, to handle the tournament and edit the, the uh, events, the tournament events, the 10 and unders, 12 and under, whatever it is, there are, I want to say there's about 20 different formats of tennis you can play from a six-game set, no ad, to – and while that's good to be able to have the ability to 
to enter that information in a different way on the computer, it's not good when nobody knows what constitutes a tennis match. And, yeah, this past weekend we had a variety of formats and this and that and everything else. But I challenge people now to tell me what constitutes a match and what's going to qualify somebody to win uh, Kalamazoo in the coming years because right now at the same very same time you've got people, there's a guy you introduced me to a while back I think he's a friend of yours, Doug Cash and he's all over uh, the uh, the place you know, giving talks and things of that nature, but Doug's talking about revolutionizing the sport more <laughs> I just don't think we I don't know, to me, I don't know about what everybody else thinks, or I don't know what you think, really, but to me, we've gone way over this other side, the side of diminished returns, to the point that nobody could really define what a tennis match is. Children, children today coming up, if you told you were there, there were good children there, or you, you may come by, but I don't know, a lot of kids, big tournament, South Carolina, and if you mentioned to some of them, the idea of playing a third set, they would have looked at you like, what's that? <laughs> well, a lot of kids haven't played a third set the whole year. They haven't played a third set the whole year. I had a parent tell me he had to play one. No, James, in not, my, son, my son has not played a third set in, in over a year. I think the last time he played a full third set was at Zonals in Sumter. But that's, that's where it. all the that's learning right. takes place. That, that was last August. I had a lady come up to me in this tournament. There wasn't a parent there that I spoke to. Now, there may have been, and they may have secretly gone by my back and told the tournament director, yeah, go ahead and shorten this. Hurry it up. we got to get home. You know, we want to be able to watch the NBA game tonight or something. And I, it may have been parents that said, but no one that I spoke to, liked it for their kid to have to do that. Now, they may have said, oh, well, it was raining a little bit. This and, it, you know, nobody likes it. Nobody wants to do it. But it's readily chosen. It's chosen so quickly, especially when you got a tournament director that's a real control freak type of tournament director. Um, so they bail out quickly. The, co- the tournament directors bail out very quickly to these abbreviated formats. There's one guy that's in charge of things at the USGA, a guy named Lou Brewer, and from what I hear, now I don't know it because I don't talk to him, but from my understanding is the moment a raindrop or two falls anywhere, he quickly goes to the short format. And again, I believe that it is part of his effort to carry forward this whole idea that the USTA operates under and the whole assumption, the whole marketing assumption, business assumption, everything that they do is based on the idea that a tennis match takes way too long to play. Well, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. The, the tragedy, you know, I have a whole article here about the damage of a third set tiebreaker. I want to tell people out there that, you know, in the 1990s, we had, I think, Lander, a Division Two team, and they were good, but they beat the University of Georgia, and Georgia was top five team in the country because they used 
tiebreakers for the third set, and the players choke their brains out. You only have to win a set, and it's the bottom line. That some of you out there say, well, tennis is about pressure, but not pressure that is wound so tight that players yeah, 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 can't yeah, 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 yeah. Let me Let me let me say something about that. There, there, that's always been a thing where they bring that up. And I think properly trained players, and you know what I mean, I think an older, properly trained player, if you, you even in practice, you may have done it every once in a while. I have a great drill that yeah, I do. Practice is not a bad thing to do sometimes. For, I have a great you know, thing it's, I it's do not it. a bad thing for practice because it's a different type yep. of pressure. But the best player doesn't win, that's for sure, all the time. We play, we play, a, sometimes we'll play a one point match day, you know, kind of thing. Or we'll do a, we'll do a deal where all you got to do is miss it in the net and you lose the whole game sometimes. Sure, that's, that's just coaching stuff, coaching tool. But yeah. for 12 and under kids, for 12 and under kids, it's actually producing, in many ways, the wrong result in many kids, I think. At least from my, my perspective, it's not quite – and I'm not, I'm not assigning this just to my son. I'm assigning it to what I've seen across the board. It's putting forward into the other age groups kids that aren't quite prepared from a fundamental standpoint to do the right things on the court and stick to them, and stick to them. You know, because you know, the ad, the ad, the ad, you know, the ad and no ad, or the juice, you know, going back and forth, and there's many battles, that is where you get to stick to it, <laughs> produce, war right? zones. I, mean, you know, I call them war zones. war zones. Those war zones are critical okay. for players to learn. I've always asked players when they come off the court, uh, when was match point before match point, and They'll look at me and say, uh, Coach, second game um, of the second set, a long, long game, and then I broke through and the guy sort of went away. Those war zones are critical, critical things. They break the confidence of one player and, and uh, allow the other player to go forward. And if, you do, if you're not good in war zones, you can't win tennis matches, and all the great players know that. And abbreviated formats allow a hokey-pokey show to take place where – it's a it's a roll of the dice and it's a crapshoot, but I, I wanted I wanted to here's, say here's this. Here's a bigger problem. Let me let me say here's a bigger problem though. So let me see if I can get you to talk about this a little bit. So the other people out there that are in charge of things and the other people that are making decisions, okay? It it most often now doesn't involve someone as qualified as you. It involves uh, uh, it involves um, umpires and referees and and uh, guys who have been administrators. Administrator, and administrators who, who haven't coached. Yeah, yeah. right. So my but, but, or but now and rightfully, well, but rightfully so in some ways because the, what they're going to say is they're going to say, look, and I'm not. I'm just going to use you. I'm not. I'm just going to use your name as an example. I'm not saying that you. But they're going to say, look, Coach Creasy. He really doesn't understand all the other complexities of the problems that we deal with with promoting tennis. A guy like Mr. Cash, nice man, but Coach Cre- he would say, look, Coach Creasy doesn't understand the business side of tennis. And the business side of tennis is much more complex than you coaches 
You coaches are so short-sighted. You coaches are the one killing the game. I remember there was one USTA administrator said to me, he said, if it weren't for you coaches, all this stuff would have passed through and it would be great. So all that said, what do you think when you hear that? And you've been around this long enough to know. I know you can handle some of this stuff. What do you think when you hear that? I'm curious. Right. Well, I, I wanted to bring up something I made in my outline here. And just hang on, Coach. I appreciate your time, first of all. And I know it's precious. But I wrote this outline, a flow chart. And I'd like for the coaches out there to see if this makes sense. But we all remember, okay, tennis for years and years, the history and the heritage of the game were emphasized. The class of the sport, it was a gentleman's game or a gentlewoman's game. It was a great game. It was a game of honor, followed the code. You know, we had the Australians, the Harry Hopmans and everything. And then somewhere in the, like the 70s, you had a tennis boom. For whatever reason, I think we had more people interested. Maybe more courts were being bought. Now, what happened in the 70s, the marketeers, the marketing people jumped on and say, wow, this tennis thing could be an industry. So for the first time, I can remember being a player, we used to only have like three types of rackets. We had a Wilson Jack Kramer or a Doris Hard racket or, or you know, you had a Chris Everett Wilson racket. It was all sort of the same racket made by Wilson. Or you had a Dunlop Max Ply. You had a Tad Davis. You had a Bancroft uh, Player Special. And those were basically the only rackets that you had. You had a few out on the fringes. But when the tennis boom happened, the marketeer said, hey, we can make money. So what happened, they started coming out, remember, with different kinds of rackets. And pretty soon by Howard Head came out with a head racket, and then people started marketing. Now, about that time, as a coach, what I noticed, all of a sudden agents were showing up at my practices and tennis matches. If you had a top player, an agent was there trying to propel them into the professional ranks somehow. You had marketing people, then all of a sudden – it was Nike and Adidas and all the companies started marketing the marketeers, marketeers. Now, around that time, there, the USTA was started panicking because I don't know whether they were losing control. They were an educational institution first until 1987. Their motto and what they did was education first, and they were there as a service organization to help people out. But when the marketeering started, they jumped on board and they developed their player development program what, in 1987. And at that time, what they did is we've got to get more champions out there. And they started and the U.S. Open was growing. And then the U.S. Open became, went to Flushing Meadow and it became a big deal. Now, as the marketeers, stay with me here, as the marketeers took over, they basically started squeezing every ounce thing out of the sport to where you had everything from ball holders to ball machines to all kinds of contraptions. They squeezed and squeezed and squeezed our sport, our great sport, our sport of heritage of all these years, and just about squeezed every bit out of it they could. Now, what happened? It got sort of to the place where when you squeeze anything like that, I don't care whether it's music, art, drama, education, anything, when you start marketing first and, and, and implement, instead of implementing educational things first, the juice goes out of it and it starts dying. So what, what has happened was, wow, 
High school tennis, we've been over this. High school tennis, all but, you know, we have 370,000 kids that sign up for high school tennis. Do you know we only have 26,000 that play tournaments? That's 7%. Wow. So as I one time said, wow, it's like bowling. Everybody used to go bowling in the 50s and 60s. Everybody's been bowling, but nobody's a bowler. So we have a lot of kids that are introductory level, but they do not pursue the game. The game is hard. The game takes a lot. The marketeering people promise us fame and fortune. People will die for a cause. They will not die for fame or fortune. It never works to inspire. You cannot inspire people just based on fame and fortune. So the, the, some of the base level people have started to jump off. Now, what the leadership has done, here's where we're at today. The leadership is panicking. So they're throwing every kind of crap at the wall they can to try to resurrect the sport. I mean, they've had the play and stay. They've had cardio tennis. They've had tennis welcome centers. The latest debacle has been the red-orange-green. What the heck is going on with the red-orange-green, Coach? I mean, now it's like, wow, what's that? I, I think they only had 40, 41 people signed up for the red-orange-and-green in the whole state of South Carolina last year. I mean, it's absolutely – but, but and I'm going to go here with this. So I'm, in, I'm down here with all this happening. I'm down at uh, a meeting in Hilton Head uh, with – this, with this USTA people, and one of the marketing people gets up and says, this is the way you need to do things. You need to come up with an idea and then market it and market it and market it, and then you can make it work. I said, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. That's wrong. You come up with an idea, you make it work, and then you market it, or else you have something like Tang. You know, the astronauts drink Tang. <laughs> That's from back from my childhood. Sorry, I don't know where that came up from. But the bottom line on the thing is you have a hollow shell. So we have made the greatest game in the world into something more shallow, Coach Weber. We've made it into something very, very shallow. Now that they're going to a hoochie-coochie show where what format are we playing? Well, none of the formats inspire. And I wanted to make this point, and I want us to get your ideas. Last point here, Coach. There is no growth in the kids when they win these abbreviated formats. If you win a tiebreaker, big match, it is not a rite of passage. It does not mean enough to the kid. They know it was a hokey-pokey show. If they win a four-game set tournament, even if they win a gold ball or a big trophy, they know it's a hokey-pokey show. It does not have the same merit or heritage as any of our tournaments of heritage, even local, national, regional used to have that all the kids would fight and die for. But the point is, on the other hand, when you lose one of those abbreviated formats, you go, ah, screwy format. We had to go to this format. And the kids, basically, it does not hurt them to the gut enough for them to want to do the work to go forward. So, therefore, we have kids that are stuck in limbo, and our kids are not developing. So, Education must come first. Substance must come first. Heritage and the history must come first. Things of substance must come first. Marketeers, get the hell out of the way. Gosh, the marketeers are killing us. Sorry, Coach, I got all worked up here. 
but it makes me so angry that we have butchered our wonderful, wonderful sport as badly as we have. Dude, did I hit it on the head? Did I hit it? You know, in a way, I mean, yeah, but my, my point, I guess my thing is, is that, that it's just not, I mean, somebody's going to say to you, somebody like a, a Doug Cash is going to say to you, Coach, people are leaving the game because it takes too long to play. The game's got to change. They can't play two out of three anymore. Well, you and know who they're picking up. What are you going to say to him? They're going to pick up the fringe players. But the people, the real people who love tennis are leaving the game now, too. All right? Uh, I mean, think think of the amount of time that we as coaches spend, and it's a hollow shell. We are not able to teach something. That would be like my daughter's ballet teacher telling her, no, 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 no. Now you've got to teach rock and roll dancing, or you've got to teach rap dancing. You've got to teach the, you know, You've got to teach this other. No, no, no. You can't teach classical music. You've got to teach rap because that is what people want now. They don't want the classical. Could you imagine telling an opera singer? That's probably a good parallel. An opera singer. No, 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 no. You've got to sing pop. Some of them have crossed over with those beautiful voices. But the well, point you, is. Okay, you make a good point. You make a good point. That sound, I mean, it was a long, it was very impassioned talk there, you said, but, and yet they don't want you on that decision making committee. They don't want me, they don't want people that are coaches because it seems that what we suggest flies in the face of what their research says is the best way to go. So how do you get well, and, and any other coach? And any other show coach, where any they've other ever coach. been successful. That's just like trying to say socialism has been successful. No, look, check in Venezuela, check every social situation that's ever been in the world fails. Every program they've tried, tell me, is cardio tennis knocking it dead? Is tennis welcome centers knocking it dead? Is the play and stay? Is the red, orange, green? Millions of dollars spent on that knocking it dead? I, I mean, have what do you think, coach? Are they are they what they're doing working? The worst is they're killing no, the fabric. How, how do you get how do you get to where how do you get to where what you tell me how we get to where we have a voice? Well, I think we're doing it right now. I think we have to use every vehicle. We have to get the word out. Parents, what you need to do, you need to stand up and speak out. I always say that. Do it in a kind way, but go to that tournament director and say, Look, Coach Weber, you spent you said something like twelve hundred dollars, and kid got to play forty-two games last week. You added it out as about like seven dollars per point, right, or something. If there's no ahead scoring, you know, I, was, I mean, it was Paris, very expensive. It was a very expensive, and each weekend is expensive, and it's getting more expensive. The as the days, you know, as the tournaments go, they're getting less time on the court playing a um, match and the tournaments are costing more money. I mean, I would think if it's less time, it should be less money, right? But it's not. It's more money. And you know what? <laughs> With all that money that USTA's got, they find that they can't share it more and more. It's shared less and less. I, Javier Palenque, uh, <laughs> got, folks, go and list Javier Palenque it's Javier, J-A-V-I-E-R, Palenque, P-A-L-E-N-Q-U-E. 
look at his writings and his stuff. He is on it. He's been doing the research. He knows exactly how much USTA is brought in, exactly how much they're paid, exactly where they're putting the money. His biggest complaint is supposed to be a nonprofit, coach, and they're not doing. Coach, how do we get a voice beyond? You know, you do got a little, we got a show, a radio, this, radio that, and we've got this, but it doesn't seem to put a dent. You know, you've got passion, and you're doing your stuff with your teams and coaching and everything else, and that bothers USGA. They can't seem to put a dent into yours, get you to do it different, or want to do it differently. Well, we can't seem to tell them that the way that they're doing it doesn't work. How do we – I just don't understand how we can get more of a voice. Well, you can't get on committees. You can't get on committees. Everything falls on deaf ears, Coach Weber. Yeah, you're going in and out of a. Well, it's because I think we have – anybody out there can sort of figure out why you don't have a voice. Really, even as a coach, you have to listen to everybody. To their credit, there have been one or two people that have reached out and asked, you know, different opinions I've had at times. And things, but I've been in the game 49 years, and I've done it straight up through hard work. I love my country. I love this sport. I love working with young people, and they need my voice. They need your voice. Your 30 years. They need other people's okay, voices. Okay, 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 okay. There you go. You've been in it a long time, and you've done it. Do you ever feel like that they? Really, truly, you, know, you go before this USGA group or whatnot. Do you ever feel like they truly listen to what your thoughts and concerns are? No, they have an agenda. And the I think here's the thing I wish whoever that person behind that Oz, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain is, that they're where they're making these decisions would step forward. And take the credit or take the blame, at least man up or woman up enough to take the credit or take the blame. The decisions that are being made are not being made for the welfare of our young people. They're not being made for the welfare of the game. Listen to this. How dare them? If Doug Cash said that, and I don't know if it's him, about changing the sport around, but it's been 148 years of tradition. What? All of a sudden now, these guys down at wherever they lake lake no, but but what's the name of the place? I always call it Lake Cabona or no. What is that? But those guys down there, how dare them? How dare them be so arrogant that they think they have the handle on things? You know, I mean, right. what? There, there's nothing you worse. You can't tell them than those know-it-alls. <laughs> Coach, they spent. It, but they but spent I don't want to bash. Look, I don't want to just bash. I want no, 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 people. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They spent over a hundred million dollars on the red, orange, and green stuff that you mentioned, and the numbers are out, and it's pretty depressing. From the very start, they lost players, and they've lost even more now. It's overcooked, and it's hard, and people don't want to do it. They won't listen. You know what they've done? They're they're going further in. They're the doubling round. down, right? <laughs> yeah, they're doubling down. 
so my, I guess my point to you is I'd, I'd like to be able to figure out how. And you know what? We may want to create an alternate organization, all that other stuff. Guess what? I don't think that stuff can, can stop them. They've got so much money, you know, that Palenque money that you talk about that he's figured out. It's a lot, and they can fight just about anything. If they decide that they don't like sure. UTR, they can squish UTR. Well, let let me say this. They don't own tennis, though, okay? Do you understand? Nobody owns tennis. USTA monopolizes, over-regulates, over-governs, over-imposes tennis in the United States of America, and they try to around the world. And ITF Right. right now, frankly, the guy in there is trying to squeeze whatever life out of it, too. They're 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 just... You know, the, but the bottom line on it is nobody owns the sport of tennis. So if you're out right. there listening to this, it's still the greatest sport in the world. Nobody can tell me not to teach my kids or anybody that I, I can't teach them how to play. You know, you don't. Nobody has the right to do that. So what they try to do is try to leverage their power. But if people just remember, nobody owns. It's just like, you know, nobody owns the schools, nobody owns the, the books, nobody owns the, you know, nobody owns tennis, nobody owns sports. So I don't, everybody is sort of afraid of that big brother organization. But the bottom line, come on, USTA, step up and do it right and do something well, and I will applaud you. And I will applaud college tennis if it ever makes a comeback. But tennis, college tennis is dead. It's it's dead because, you know, the bottom line on the thing is they play these hokey pokey shows in these short formats. It's disgusting. And then they're stopping the matches before they're over. And then they play 25 a year. How many matches has your son played at age 12, Coach? <laughs> I mean, age, age 12 probably this year. I bet he's played 100 <laughs> last year. I, I bet he played 100. Well, you can't consider a match. I don't consider a four-game no-ad set a match. Well, I don't consider not. a whole four-game match. I don't even consider that a set. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's less than people play. What they're doing right now, it's less than people play on Friday nights at the Round Robin Mixers. That's the biggest, That's and, right. you, and that might be the biggest problem, is that what happens is we allow these people. See, the sexy part of tennis, the sexy part of the sport, is having um, having your say when it comes to player development. It's not real sexy to do much or say much when it comes to um, uh, the grow the game part. And what they've done is they've got grow the game people who are getting to have say on the performance side. And so what's happening is right. messing things up. If they kept that dichotomy, if they kept them separate from each other, and if they um, only, you know, stayed in their lanes and kind of did what they were good at, then it might not get so mixed up. And then people wouldn't be so right. confused. Before 1987, that's right. Yeah. Bottom line thing is just keep it, keep it simple. Keep things really simple. I mean, a tennis match, it shouldn't be real hard for a kid to figure out what a tennis match is, should it? Should it be that hard? Oh, no. Hey, let's, listen, <laughs> we, we turned out great, great players for years and years and years and years until we got too smart for our own britches. 
You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's uh, very sad. Yeah. They need to just set it up and say, there's the prize, go get it. And let people have freedom to go get it, and we would be well, really good how, Let me ask you a question. Well, answer this question for me. Now, maybe, and Bill said maybe it was different. Bill Ozaki is a guy, I've, I've grown to really like him. He's with the USCA. Now, he did say that kids probably didn't play as many tournaments as they have to play now. He's told me that. But my question to you is, let's say, for example, now they've got these limitations on, on the day. So if you had rain at an event or something like that, how would Coach Creasy solve rain at an event where he, he can't sh- – if you're, you know, if you're back at the old two out of three, how do you play the matches? What do you do? What would you do? We had, we had, I mean, we had, we absolutely used to play till late at night sometimes, and we held the event. We got all the matches in we could, and I mean, people played. Nobody complained. I, I, I think the overregulation comes from a lot of. Uh, nervous lawyers thinking, nervous you know, hey, it's too yeah. tough or. Our kids, it's too hard on our kids and stuff. But basically, you schedule a rain day. I think the best format we ever have had was about the 10, 15 years ago. They used to play the first round on a Friday night. They'd play Saturday, Sunday, and only the final people would be there on Monday. You know, that was they good. That that, that's degree. what they need. They do that play. now to a degree. But they've done it now. My, I'll give you one real quick. It was a big Southern tournament in Mississippi just recently. It's a big one. It's one of the top tournaments that they allow the southern section to have it actually gives them good points at a national level and this thing and thing. my son went and we played two of those little sets for doubles on friday night then he played now we there's a long drive about eight hour drive somewhere the mississippi so we played one you know two little sets of doubles all right then saturday he plays one singles match okay everybody's done by five o'clock in the afternoon there's, you know everybody Everybody can go to cocktail hour. On Sunday, they were done again early, about 5 o'clock. He played one match. Okay. Now, on Monday, here's the kicker. He had to play three of those matches where you have a 10-point match tie break for the third. But they don't give you – I mean, they won't, then they've got no time. He had one match that lasted almost three hours, even with that tiebreaker for the third. His, um, his next to last match last three hours. And – we had a hard time. I had a hard time, you know, getting him something to eat and, you know, getting him a little shower. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, you know, so they were like in that. panic mode at the end. They were in panic mode at the end. They let me, let me make a comment. Yeah. We're almost, we're almost out of time here, but let me make a comment real quick. Here's where I think they went wrong. And then I want to just get a closing comments. We need to solve the problem. Uh, I think most people listening out there understand exactly what we're talking about. And they know folks don't underestimate, the top-down management, how they have, uh, what they've done is they're doing this for money reasons, too. Don't underestimate that they want randomness in in the sport at the highest level. That means the pro level so that gambling gets paid what they want. The ITF last year, I don't know if you know this, JP, Coach Weber, but they uh, got gave $70 million. The ITF got $70 million from the gambling industry for live stream scoring. So at the, the highest level, at every level, the gambling is in there, which is disgusting. And how much that, the tail is wagging the dog. It's disgusting. Again, entertainment over education. 
But here is what I believe that need to do. First priority should be full matches in singles, full matches. Second priority should be doubles that are, should be, we used to play full matches. Consolation matches should be only one round, first round losers only for consolation. And then you can do abbreviations or whatever. Your tournament directors could run the tournament and then get it done. But they've done this hokey pokey show. Now it's bled over. We have a lot of people, you know, the bottom line on the thing, the better player does not win as you shorten formats. And um, players aren't training like they need to train. Players aren't ready to play like they need to. They're not learning. So we've got a problem, but I think that we need coaches in these organizations. We need coaches who know what they're talking about. We need people who have skin in the game. And parents, you need to tell those tournament directors, listen, we don't want to pay $1,000 to be at a hotel to do this hokey-pokey bullwinkle method of playing. And uh, parents, you need to speak out because we're getting exactly what we deserve if you don't speak out. You better. All the learning takes place in those last sets. Coach Weber, any last thoughts? Because we got to go here. No, you hit it right on the – I mean, I I just want to see more coaches be involved. More coaches got to be involved in the decision-making. All you people out there, address issues, not people. All right? Stay professional. Address issues, not people. No one can find fault. These organizations, USTA, uh, ITA, the ITF, these are organizations you you can daggone it, you don't have to agree or like those people. I don't like any of those organizations because they become power hungry and they become a centralized socialist system of governing. And what happens when you do that top-down management is that you do not inspire but you actually cripple your best potential leaders. So, uh, Coach Weber, I can't thank you enough for being on, okay? Hey, come on back. God bless you. Thank you for doing the program. And listen, (laughs) Coach Weber, I'm putting him off there, but thank you very much for all that you do and for Yellow Ball Network and everything. Hey, folks, this will be out on the Internet, and I hope you'll relay it on to – other folks as well. That's all. It's time to go. Made in America. Born in a heartland. Raised up a family. A King James and Uncle Sam. He got the red, white, blue, fine high on the farm. Semper Fi tattooed on his same song. Spent a little more in the store for a tag in the back of this USA. Reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. God bless you, and we'll see you again next week on American Tennis.